Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, October 22nd. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's how we're making you smarter today. What to expect from the final presidential debate tonight. Plus, how the pandemic has changed life for one Texas teacher this school year. But first, last night, the Director of National Intelligence and the FBI held a rare news conference to say that Iran is behind a series of emails threatening voters in at least four battleground states. Here's FBI Director Christopher Wray. We are not going to tolerate foreign interference in our elections or any criminal activity that threatens the sanctity of your vote or undermines public confidence in the outcome of the election. You should be confident that your vote counts. Last night, they said Russia has also obtained voter information designed to undermine confidence. The election is less than two weeks away. And with that in mind, the move to restore voting rights for Americans with felony convictions is today's one big thing. This month, Axios has launched Hard Truths, a new series focused on exploring the impact of race in America. Our society is filled with roadblocks that prevent people from fully participating as American citizens. And one of those is mass incarceration. We tore down that Jim Crow barrier that's been in place for over 150 years. And even though we have a governor and a legislature that's throwing these obstacles in our way, there is an alternative pathway. Desmond Mead is the president of the activist group Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. He was formerly incarcerated and started the program to help other felons like himself get back their civil rights, including the right to vote. That's from earlier this week when he spoke to Axios executive editor Sarah Gu for a live event. He also spoke with politics reporter Steph Kite, who's been researching this issue. There are actually more than 5 million Americans who are unable to vote because of a felony record. And one of the notable things about that number is that they are disproportionately Black Americans. I imagine there are people who are listening thinking, well, you could just avoid this if you hadn't been convicted of a felony. Of course, and that is an argument that people make, and many people point to the 14th Amendment, which does allow states to block people from voting if they have committed crimes. The other thing is the fact that there are disproportionate numbers of Black people who are unable to vote because of a felony on their record. They're arrested at higher rates. They're more likely to have longer sentences. And beyond that, the drastically different voter laws across the country make it really difficult for former felons to navigate. Yeah, states really vary in how they deal with this issue. Maine, Vermont, and Washington, D.C. actually allow people who have been convicted of felonies who are in prison to still cast their vote, whereas other states are far more strict when it comes to people who have already served their time in prison. So that brings us to Florida and this amendment that was passed by Florida voters that would restore voting rights to felons. So Florida voters passed Amendment 4 in 2018, which really would have returned voting rights to more than a million Floridians. But then lawmakers passed a bill that specified that after someone served their time, they first have to pay off court-related fees and fines and restitution. And once they've paid all of that off, then they actually have the right to vote. But what makes that really complicated is that Florida doesn't really have a direct way for people who have served time for a felony to even see if they're eligible. Or to even see how much money they owe. Exactly. So now organizations like Desmond's Florida Rights Restoration Coalition are actively stepping up to try to fix the situation. 
we've had businesses like Levi's and Firecom to everyday average American citizens from all walks of life that has poured into our fines and fees fund where we've raised over $25 million and we've spent that money clearing the pathway for over 40,000 returning citizens. The big picture is that since the 2016 election, at least one million Americans have gotten back the right to vote. And groups like Desmond's are part of a movement across the country to restore voting rights to formerly incarcerated citizens. Steph Kite is a politics reporter at Axios. You can read more about this by looking at the Hard Truth series at Axios.com. We'll be back in 15 seconds with what's ahead for tonight's presidential debate. Welcome back to Axios Today. Yesterday, I hosted an Instagram Live with Axios co-founder Mike Allen. We took audience questions about the elections and the debates, and I wanted to share part of that conversation with you. The first question I asked him was about mail-in ballots and which states can start counting early. So there's one that matters, and that's Florida. Because the theory is, if Joe Biden can put away Florida, and then if you add North Carolina as a cherry on top, what we thought was going to be election week or even election month turns into a regular old election night because Florida goes ahead, counts your ballots as they come in, which seems like the logical way to do it. We know from the court ruling just the other day, Pennsylvania, Michigan, they'll have three days to count. Traditionally, states have done that as a security measure that so that there weren't open ballots lying around. But now I think this is just one way that voting is going to change. So we have a question about tomorrow night's debate. What will it look like in contrast to the previous debate? That big change where automatically the other guy's microphone will be turned off during the two minutes that the person has to talk. It's going to happen for both of them. And so I think that we will get to hear more. The big piece of advice that the big doctors are telling the president is just let Biden talk because they think that the more you let him talk, he may get into a trap. So the advice he's getting is to hold back. But how often does President Trump take the advice he's given? I can answer that question and it's not often. Mike Allen is the co-founder of Axios. A few months ago, the country was in debate over if and how students should go back to school amid the pandemic. There was so much talk over in-person teaching versus virtual learning versus a hybrid model of the two. At the time, we spoke to Rachel Sini. She's a theater teacher in Austin, and she was really worried about what going back to school was going to look like for her and her students and her family. So now that her in-person school has been back in session for a few weeks, we wanted to get a snapshot of what life has been like for Rachel. It's going so much better than I was feeling it was going to go. And she says it's better than she expected, largely because of her school's focus on safety and keeping small groups of students isolated from one another. I don't see very many people in the day, like maybe six students in a classroom, really separated, and they don't leave to go from class to class. They don't go to lunch. These six students are in the classroom all day, each with their own computer taking their classes virtually. 
Rachel watches over them while she teaches her own classes, also virtually. My kids are getting a little bit of a different education, but they're getting a good one. I'm proud of what I'm teaching and what they're learning and the projects that we're doing. Rachel considers herself one of the lucky ones, especially because she's seen her mom, who's also a teacher, struggle in her school district. At least one of her students has coronavirus. She went to the school board. She made her voice known and her opinions known that this just isn't safe. On top of adjusting for her students and her mother, she also has to consider her five-year-old daughter, who's going to kindergarten for the first time via Zoom. It's an adjustment for sure. And she's lonely. And that that really stinks. And that stinks across the board for everyone. You know, it's one of those cost-benefit analysis where, you, you know, I'm able to sleep at night. I feel like she's getting what she needs and we're, we're all safe. Rachel Sini is a theater teacher in Austin, Texas. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.